Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests we've had on JM in the AM. Exalted Moments, Welcoming Shabbos is the brand new book by Yisrael Besser. Here is my conversation with Yisrael Besser. Don't forget the book is available at artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Rabbi Yisrael Besser on JM Rewind on the Nahum Single Network. JM in the AM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. And uh, you'll have a lot to comment about uh, based on this uh, upcoming conversation. That I can tell you. Remember, go to artscroll.com. Go to artscroll.com. The rule is always use promo code radio. Always use promo code radio with anything. But today, specifically, I'm encouraging everybody to order. In fact, it's possible you'll have it before Shabbos, depending on where you are. Uh, to order the brand new book by Yisrael Besser. It's called Exalted Moments, Welcoming Shabbos, Stories, Inspiration, and Insights. And frankly, until I read this book, I just didn't realize, and I've been keeping Shabbos for quite a while, (laughs) I didn't realize just how many things we do at the outset of Shabbos and how meaningful and amazing they are. Yisrael Besser, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you for having me again. A pleasure. Um, uh, the book's amazing, and I have to start with uh, the story about uh, your grandfather's dining room, and I think you know exactly what I mean. Uh, some, some, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your grandfather, who was well-known to so many people in this audience, or Chatzko Besser, um, uh, someone was uh, paying a shiva call in your grandparents' apartment, and they insisted on seeing the dining room. Shiva was taking place in the living room. Why, Yisrael Besser, would a visitor to your grandparents' apartment insist on seeing the dining room? So... This, this woman walks in. She she was clearly from Barra Park, you know, coming from a Hasidic community. So I came to the door. I said, no, they're sitting. My father, my aunts, my uncle was sitting in the in my grandfather's study. He has this beautiful big room around the restaurant. That's where everybody was sitting. She was like, oh. no, she very much wants to see the dining room. And she was insistent. So, okay, I do want something. Try to accommodate them. <laughs> right. And she walks in. <laughs> to the dining room and she's like soaking it in it's just a dining room it's nice I don't have to tell you it looks like a Manhattan dining room it's right. nice you could see the, the river actually a little bit through the trees by, over Riverside Park I think I was in that dining room on the Upper West Side if I'm not mistaken <laughs> it, it's a dining room as dining rooms go you know and she's like I need to experience and feel the room where my son learned what Shabbos means so that that meant a lot to me and I knew exactly what she meant because I had also been Married and spending a lot of Shabbos on the west side on my grandparents' table. And I also thought I kept Shabbos before that, but I guess there was a certain element of Shabbos that she was referring to that she and her husband had tried to convey. And she told this to me that her son had left their house and moved to Manhattan looking for something different, a lifestyle that I guess was a little different than the one he had grown up in. And he came back home infused about Shabbos because of those meals spent by my grandparents' house where he felt that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I can only imagine what that Shabbos was like. And and um, and uh, obviously, it's a great story, and the book is filled with a lot of great stories. You know, the, the the one of the things that this book made me realize, and remember, you know me, I love Shabbos, 
and, and, I, and I have a great appreciation for Shabbos. And my and our Shabbos table growing up was a real experience, as you know, as, as sort of like the. I mean, you you know what my family was like. You know, it, it was an experience. Was say, you grew up in that type of home, exactly. Shabbos. It was, Shabbos meant a lot, and and it was and it was filled with so many amazing things. And yet, I still, <laughs> when I picked up your book, said to myself, "Wow, there's so many things we do, you know, by rote. There's so many things we do just, you know, automatically, so to speak." that we I, I don't stop I don't stop and think about all that's going on and your book Exalted Moments Welcoming Shabbos we must point out Yisrael Besser is only about the start of Shabbos this has nothing to do with Shabbos in general has nothing to do with Shabbos's effect on the rest of the week has nothing to do with the week's effect on Shabbos all- I hope very much to, to get there to Kabbalah Shabbos to the Zeros and Shabbos this is right. you know, like almost the pilot project Kabbalah, to, Shabbos, to is, the Kabbalah Shabbos and Zemiris isn't even there so and, 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 and so what is there people are curious I'll tell you. Let me just go through the, the quick table of contents for a second. Hadlakas Neros, lighting Shabbos candles, Birchas Abanim, blessing the children, Shalom Aleichem, of course, Rebon Kola Olamim, Aisha uh, Chayel, and Kiddush. That's it. This book ends. This book ends at the, what we would consider the beginning of Shabbos, which is Kiddush, and that's where the book ends. Precisely. If I could just add to something you said, it's not sure. just how many things we do by rote without realizing, it's how much awesome power there is in these moments that people yes. aren't using out something I wasn't. Correctly, yes. because I didn't even realize their significance. Yes. You know, Jews have a sense about auspicious times, and I think that the image of a, a woman lighting Shabbat candle resonates. I think people sense that there's something very powerful and very awesome taking place during those moments. But they don't really know what, and they don't really know how, and they don't really know why. So it's hard to harness any power if you don't understand it. Yeah, 100%. Um, Oh, I'll tell you, you know, you know what also is interesting. As I was reading this book, I'm saying to myself, I don't know how personal I want to get because there's so much about, you know, growing up in, in a home that's filled with Shabbos that, you know, so again, you'll excuse me if, <laughs> if I toss out some personal stuff from uh, from our Shabbos table of the last many, many decades. But I'll give you an example and, and this is, God forbid, God forbid, this is not a criticism of our father. God forbid, God forbid. He, he said, Rebon Kola Olamin, but he said it to himself. And I know there's certain families that say it out loud. There's certain families, in fact, I've seen this. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where people participate in the Rebon Kola Olamin by repeating certain words and by, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Wow. And yeah. And, and it's, and, My uh, father doesn't say it, actually. So I only say it in my neshama. You know, the, I'm not going to change that. And it's pretty interesting you say that because, again, because of the um, – I, I, I'm trying to use the right words here. But, but be, because of how it was presented to me growing up, it really hasn't become an important part of our Shabbos experience today. But you read those – it's the biggest part of your book, by the way. It's the largest part of your uh, book. You're a very, very young person. There's no reason it can't become part of it now. It's okay. <laughs> I appreciate you're young, that. You're energetic. <laughs> you're youthful. You're fresh. Don't be scared. Did you know that Rebone's the largest part of the book? So this is something interesting. Originally, because of the success of Mishmas and reaching people, right. I thought I'm going to do a book just called Rebone Call 11. That was the idea of the book because the words are so, they're so late. And people, again, they're very poetic. Right. And people don't really get the references. And right. a lot of the questions are questions of shot. We say things over there that we never say. Uh, you know, we ask for Aisha v'chaved, right? When we taich Aisha v'chaved. When do we ever ask in the whole corpus of Tila to be wealthy? We ask for Banasa. We ask that our needs are met. We say Baruch Helena three times a day. But we ask to be rich. It doesn't seem like a thing that you find anywhere else. Right. Or to ask straight up for covered. 
Chazal teaches that covet is something to be disdained. Right. Well, what does that mean? Through a few averus. Why should a person have any averus? We only want a few averus. Well, what does that even mean? So there were so many things there that cried out for explanations. So I said, I want to write a book and even because my father didn't say it, and I sort of had I wouldn't use the word jealousy, but it was something like I wish he would have said it. it to me, it seems like the whole world said it. It turns out it's not that way. And it's, it's, you know, I asked a lot of people. A lot of people do. A lot of people don't. So most people so do what I do. They go from Shalom Aleichem to Eishas Chayil? Well, you know, again, I, I do what my father does. He says, Ki Malachav, and then he stops at Melech Tam Darkai. He just ah. says, uh, the, you know, Melech, uh, that, and that's it. And then he goes to Eishas Chayil, exactly. Interesting. Uh, you saw Bessers uh, with many, us. Many, many more people today benched their children on Friday night, even though their fathers didn't. Oh, this, I boy, I can't believe a, uh, you don't even. A call of the hour, I would you, say. You that you, people you, have a sense that my father benches us on the Erevium Kipper, and that's it. Uh, my wife's father benches the kids every Friday night. So, that, that, again, when, when I got married, she was like, are you going to bench the children Friday night? I said, no, my father only does it at Kipper. People are understanding, maybe or feeling this need to connect with their children differently than they used to a generation ago. I, generation. It's unbelievable how you and I are so connected. Uh, my father, also Erev Yom Kippur, and uh, when we had our first child, we made a decision we're going to do Birch Sabanim. And remember, I am very Machbit, or at least I, I think I am, I hope I am, uh, I'm very Machbit on what your Machbit is, which is not to change tradition. Not to change, but, thi- mm-hmm. but this we felt was an important thing to incorporate, and my father was at our Shabbos table when I did it. Oh, because did you ask your father? Yeah, I'm sure I discussed it with him. There's no question I discussed it with him. But, uh, and he understood that this was something you felt he wanted to do. Yeah, and, 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 why, and you know, just thinking from his perspective, why would he want to you know, not allow us to add something so beautiful and so you know, important? It's and, not and, really changing a minute. It's not right. like you're taking away something. And, Correct. And we bring over there the sources for it. Correct. The son and others, that the power of a parent blessing a child any time. Right. I know in the, in the German community, the Yaki community, it's a tremendous thing. Mamish, I didn't realize like, that. You're going on a trip, you're coming from a trip, you have a big business meeting, whatever the situation, parents are, are blessing the children. Wow. So that, that's not really something that needs, a, that needs more sources than we already have from the classic sources. Right. So you're not really changing a minute there. And I spoke to my friends and family, and I see that many people have started to do that. Have you been criticized at all regarding the order? Because our Bir Chasabanim takes place after Aishas Chayel. And before Kiddush, and I'm wondering if I'm an exception or if most people do it the way you do it. You have you have it right after uh, Hadlakas Neros, which means it's being done before Shalom Aleichem. Right. So I did it like that for a reason. It's because it's sort of thematic to understand that what a woman is accomplishing with Hadlakas Neros, the husband or the father or the grandfather, is accomplishing with Berchas Abadim. They they sort of go hand in hand, meaning. What we're saying is we're sending a message to our children, and, and we write a lot about this, is whatever was, was. Whatever happened Friday up until Skia is an old world, and now the world has been created anew. So everything is fresh, and everything is hopeful, and everything is optimistic, and everything is positive, and let's look ahead. Right. And at the core, our relationship is that we love each other. Right. You know, and, and it brings down from uh, classic sources, I don't remember who now, how <laughs> Friday can be a tense day in the house. Friday can oh, be really? Really? It can really? <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope you're sitting down before I drop that bombshell. I apologize for breaking it on the air just I, like that. I guess, we're, I, I, I guess the seagulls are the exception, huh? <laughs> no, tension the, no tension long, in the house, Eric. So sometimes words are exchanged and, and people say things because that's what happens when people are tense. Not, they're not their best selves. And right. they come flying into Shabbos. And now we're saying, okay, okay, that, that's not us. This is us. Right. You know, and the right. woman saying what she's saying. 
It's so funny you say this because, uh, you know, for, for those of us who have been into the Amun and Bitochon topic, which I've been into a lot recently, uh, and I know there are a lot of tremendous shiurim and, and, and tidbits that go around on, on social media, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's being used for such an amazing uh, purpose to, to really strengthen people in that area. I, I can't imagine how busy the Yetzirah is on Friday afternoon. I mean, the Yetzirah Sahara is in so many people's homes and trying to get everybody to, you know, get at each other and to, you know, to, to argue about everything. And, uh, and, and you really have to discipline yourself to make Arab Shabbos. I remember someone said to me years ago that the thing they can't stand is Arab Shabbos in their home and, and, that, and that they are going to make an effort when they're, when they're married to make Friday afternoon as calm as possible. I know this isn't the theme of your book, but you brought it up, and I think it's a really important point to make. You know, we, we, there's something fascinating. It's in the book, actually, from the Chassam Seifa. He says something astounding. He says that Shabbos, as we know, is the Makar HaBracha. We say it all over Tefillah. The source, of the vessel that is going to contain all the brachas of the week ahead comes from Shabbos. Right. So he says, he says, uh, and again, this is there. We say in Ritzay, we're asking, There should be no anguish on our day, day of rest. Right. What kind of request is that? And what about Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? Then we're okay with it? Only on Shabbos we shouldn't have? Listen to the, the some sites that says, he, he says, if you plant a seed in the ground and there's a scratch on the seed, then ultimately the, the, whatever that seed produces and spawns is going to have that kind of, whatever that scratch reflects, right? It's going to be impaired by that, limited by that scratch. It has to be perfect at the start. He says if Shabbos would be perfect without grief, there would be no way that grief could come into the week ahead because all the bracha flows through Shabbos. And if Shabbos is completely happy and calm and serene, then the week ahead is going to have to be that way. Because so he says, what does the Satan do? He knows this also. So he said he works in our Shabbos to create such discord, such disharmony in the house, that you come into Shabbos stressed out. Yep. So he got you for the whole week. Yeah. <laughs> he says, if he gets you on your Shabbos, that he got you on the whole week ahead. Yeah. So he says, that's why there's a, he brings from the Zayar Kaddish, that there's a Yetzirah of Machlaikas in the house on our Shabbos. You see from the Gemara, there's different stories. The Gemara says that there was a couple that fights or a mayor sat over there in their courtyard on, on Arab Shabbos because uh, when he was sitting around, they were calmer. He would sit there on Arab Shabbos until they learned themselves how to get along with each other. Wow. But there's Yetzirah from Machlaikas. This, this goes back to the Zayar Kaddish, that there's Yetzirah from Machlaikas on Arab Shabbos. Some Seifer says it's strategic. It's a from the Satan who wants to make sure that the week is miserable. Right. So if he can bring you into Shabbos in a bad place, then he got you. Yeah, I'm telling you, he's really busy Friday afternoon. And by the way, it doesn't matter if Shabbos starts at 8 o'clock. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many... Isn't that interesting? It could be 4 o'clock yeah. all the way to 8 o'clock. You it, always come in a little it, stress. It so doesn't matter. To... That, that Sutton's hanging around <laughs> at least until everyone leaves from Mincha. I'll tell you that much. Yisrael Besser's with us. Exalted Moments, Welcoming Shabbos is the name of the book, Stories, Inspiration, and Insights. It is, it's a great one. you got to get it, everybody. Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, I, I mean, I love the analysis of each of, of basically each line of Ashes Chayil because again, something that we say and sing and don't always um, either appreciate or, or even understand. Uh, you know the words that we're saying and the praise that we're uh, you know that we're issuing. Uh, there's a line there that I wanted to share with you because uh, you you actually have a couple of expl- a couple of explanations. Um, uh right so we talk about the the um uh, uh the the beauty and elegance with which you know she's adorned uh talking about uh, uh the wife and mother of the family of course but so i always you know it's a, how how did do you remember how you 
uh, translated those three words, Vatischak Demacharon? I, I don't have it in front of me, but I would imagine it, w- it would be something along the lines of there's a laughter inside of her because she knows that the end of the story has not yet been written, that there'll come a day when she'll be justified. The, oh. the mother and the wife is, so, is so, filled with a confidence that other people don't see in her husband and her children right. in the future. That's right. how a mother raises her children because other people look at their children and they're like, really? And she sees only greatness and so, glory. And so it's and funny children. because you, you have here, she, and by the way, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just wanted to make the point. She joyfully awaits the last day. And, and my father used to say that, that he thinks that that word can be switched a little bit, a little poetic license to Vatitzchak Liom Acheron, meaning that she laughs about the last day. And the reason I say it, and what I want to point out, is that it is not just the mothers out there that uh, you know are that that have this attitude and that you know and and, and that you know set all the, everything aside and you know and and look at the bigger picture so to speak but if you think of the jewish grandmothers and jewish great grandmothers who honestly have more of a reason you know under normal circumstances to fear or to worry about the final days right who have you know they they're they're closer to a complete life so to speak but they just think about how our grandmothers and great grandmothers thank god these days, we could say great grandmothers. Somebody, my wife was at an event last night with um, with Robertson Feinstein. There were three great grandmothers of a baby in the room in that room. How amazing is that? Wow. So, wow. so, so now, wow. we, so, 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 I, so, I'm saying, imagine that 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 these elderly people, these elderly people, women in their 90s in our community, have this incredible love and joy, and couldn't care less about the last days. All they're thinking about is how today Shabbos is is such a key to the future of the Jewish people. That's how I wanted to. To, to I, I love it. There's a, there's a reason we're still here, Nachum, and that very much is connected with the optimism and the resilience and the spirit no of the question. Jewish mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, as you're saying. No question about it. And boy, what a unique opportunity we have in this generation. You know, uh, again, don't mean to go into an aside, but you know how I love speaking to you, so I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> but, sure. but, but there were people, you know, there were people that we knew. There were people that we knew, you and I knew, who you know never realized in in their uh, when they were young that that someone could have grandparents. That if you, you speak to certain people who grew up in Jewish neighborhoods, they'll tell you that they were you know that they had one or two kids in their class who even had a grandparent. That's how that generation was affected. I mean, I'm not I'm not telling anybody things that they don't know. And today. Imagine this, that you could be in a room with all these generations and see pictures of you know, people together who are being, you know, we talk about the effect parents have on children at the Shabbos table, but grandparents and great-grandparents, imagine the richness. And maybe this generation needs it, frankly. Maybe that's why things are the way they are. But imagine the richness of, of the Shabbos experience because of all those generations being together. I was at a good convention a number of years ago, and Rabbi Leaf spoke, Rabbi Rosh Leaf. He's great. He said exactly what you just said. He said he feels like our generation is blessed because the children need. He was saying that parents do the best they could, but they're completely overwhelmed. Yeah. They need the grandparents to pitch in. He said that the chinuch opportunity presented by today's generation calls for all hands on deck, and grandparents have it, should be having an, exactly what you just said. Should be having an active role. 
and how many people talk about with all the experiences they had. Oh, by the way, who am I speaking to? <laughs> I'm speaking to you. You could tell us about having amazing grandparents. How many people speak about, you know, all the things they had growing up and everything their parents did for them, how the most incredible experiences were when they were with their grandparents in, you know, whatever capacity it was. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of, you know, those who walked to shore with their grandfather, those who, you know, experienced things in the kitchen with their grandmother, not to, of course, you know, put labels on anybody or categorize people. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to my parents for making us realize that. That means yeah. I, I, I feel fortunate. My, my, my father made sure we knew. Um, you know, my mother's father, unfortunately, passed away. I'm named for him before I was born. Yeah. But my father's parents, my, my, my grandfather, every best would walk into the room, my father would stand the entire time. And even so, likely you would for your Rebbe. He wouldn't sit down until my grandfather was seated. And he referred to him in third person. And Yiddisha works better. He would say, ear. Uh, the Tata, I'm sorry. Does the Tata want a drink? Does the Tata want a... He wouldn't say you to his father. It sounds... It, it, does, it, does sounds it does sound sweeter in Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he, he conveyed this to us, and I'm grateful for that from early on, that we were fortunate to have that opportunity. Unbelievable. The whole thing is incredible. By the way, on the topic of... Um, and don't worry, I'm getting back to the book now. <laughs> on, the t on the topic of, you know, wanting to stay politically correct, because obviously, you know, who wouldn't? I'll, I'll take the risk nonetheless. I, I, there's something, I never thought of this until I saw your book. I never thought of this. And I've been around a long time, and as I said earlier, I've been observing Shabbos for quite a while. <laughs> I never thought of this. The woman is lighting candles, and that's how your book starts, with, the, with, with candle lighting, Friday night candle lighting. And the man is leading Kiddush. And for some families, I can tell you in my family, I'm proud of this. Kiddush is a, a wonderful experience that is such a, you know, just it, it's a, it's just whatever. I, we're, we're privileged, thank God, to have a, a wonderful Kiddush experience in our home. And, and, that's the last mm -hmm. and that's the last chapter of your book. And I'm saying to myself, wow, look at the different roles that people have. The woman of the house is decorating the home is establishing the ambiance of the home. It's candles, right? Candles are beautiful. And it's the ambiance, and it's the, you know, people know the significance of a candlelight dinner, right? I mean, it's the ambiance, it's the, it's the feeling, it's the, it's the decoration. She, she is decorating. That's, again, not to be, you know, not to label anybody about what the role of people are in our community. I get it. But, you know, th this, is, this is what she's doing. And, and the man or the men, depending on how things work kiddish-wise in your family, the men are declaring Shabbos to be there. She decorates mm -hmm. and they declare. And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. just, 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 I never thought of this until I saw your book, just establishing those roles and understanding that each one of those roles is so vital and so important. Shabbos has to look a certain way. It has to feel a certain way. Thank you to the Jewish mother. Shabbos has to sound a certain way. Shabbos has to have a certain environment. Thank you to the Jewish father. And I thought that, uh, you know, Again, it's something I got from. It does sound very profound. You know, there are the shavuot would Friday night, and and uh, there are still many mikubal who do this. Friday night, when he came up, show he would kiss his mother's hand. That would be the first thing he did. And I've seen it still today by in the homes of Anashim Gedolim. The children line up, the father gives a bracha, and they kiss the mother's hand, conveying a respect for her hands, like we talk about in Eishes Chayel, right. the work of her hands and the toil of her hands. Kapa Parsalani, it's kapeha. We talk so much about the hands of the Jewish. Jewish mother, which is exactly what you just said. She brings, at a very practical level, she's bringing Shabbos into the home in a million different ways, and the, her hands symbolize that. The bracha, the flow of bracha that comes through her hands. 
And look at what her, those candles. And look at what her husband's doing, both in shul and at home. He's declaring the start of Shabbos and, and saying, okay, you know, like, you know, emphatically as a leader, it, you know, it's now Shabbos. Let's keep that in mind. Let's let's start Kiddush. Let's sing Zmiris. Let's, you know, make it a special benching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you tell the, uh, well, I, I don't remember now who was about it. It may have been a relative of yours, so excuse me if I don't remember. But who, who was it that turned to you on Friday night and said, do they save Shamru at this minion? Because oh, I wrote this in the introduction. Um, uh, my wife's grandfather. That's your wife's? Shachter. He was a, my wife's grandfather. He it, passed away last year. He was a marvelous person. So I think you've, I think you've actually and, spoken with us about him on the air uh, uh, since uh, his he, passing. He was just great. He moved to us. Well, you know, about 20, uh, 30 years ago. I and, and, he was a rabbi. And, and you're in shul, and I'm assuming it's Yerushalayim, where they don't save Shamru. Yerushalayim and Malotah. My wife and I lived there after our wedding, and he came to us for Shabbos. And he was a great Baal He was like a legend. He was one of those Baal that you hear and you remember. So he went up there. He said, oh, Herzl Shachtas here. And they asked him to Davin. He said, sure. And he looks at me in panic. He wasn't a person prone to panic. He's a very calm person. Look at all Shabbos. He turns over to me and he's like, did, did they save Hashem? Panicked. Panicked. Like, like somebody on a hot day would say, do you have water? <laughs> I said, no, they don't, they don't say Hashem, which is the many most of Yerushalayim. Like, he took off the towel and put it on my shoulders. I didn't write that part of it, the trauma of having to step up for him and the <laughs> collective disappointment in the crowd that I felt wrapping itself around me like a talus. And he's like, I, I can't, I can't, I need to save a summer. I he can't, that. I, I can't, can't David, I'm not He made up a song. He, he composed many songs. Uh, this is most famous one. But he made up the Pure Haba, like from the 60s. And he... And I wrote there that the secret of his man El Mahaba is the secret of a Jew who needs to say the Shabbos on Friday night. The the Sfarim bring down last day says the Shabbos l'dayraisam. Dayraisam means generations, and it also means Chazal and this l'dayraisam to their homes to bring Shabbos into your homes. That that we we there's a covenant between us and the Avinu that we will bring Shabbos into our homes, not just into the, our hearts. We will transmit it to our children. I said, he's somebody who needed to save Hashem. Who He needed to say that. He was able to compose. I just wrote it in the introduction because, like I said, he passed away so recently. Mm. By the way, does does that not fit in with my declaration theme? He needs to declare Absolutely that Hashem is. I'm always worried about this, and I told this to you in the past on air. I know that you have a book in you, and I'm scared. And if you do that, I'm starting a radio show. Nachum, <laughs> <laughs> stay in your lane. Halavai, you can guide me that I could expand like that, frankly. <laughs> but uh, you that, have such rich insights. Every time we speak, I, I have this sense, and I know it's coming. I appreciate that very much. Look, the book is, uh, you know, I've, I've been using the expression life changer and game changer a lot when I've done books recently on the air. Uh, but this is just, again, if, if I'm around for so many decades and, you know, d- didn't realize just how much is going on in those few minutes. It's a few minutes, right? Candlelighting to Kiddush. <laughs> for some people, it's a half hour, depending on which minion you dive in, right? <laughs> a few minutes, but what a crucial few minutes it is. And what a crucial period of time it is. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, just, look, every Shabbos meal is, is, uh, is vital, beautiful, and wonderful. And nothing against the uh, daytime meal. You know, it's, it's significant and great. But that Friday night experience in one's home or even as a guest at someone's table, it can be so enriching. It, it literally can make you forget about a bad week and just get you off to a great spiritual start. So you made me realize all this. I'm saying thank you, and I'm highly, recommend- I'm, I'm highly recommending the book. So if it goes into a second printing by tomorrow, you'll know why. It's really better.
<laughs> I appreciate it. It could be a third also. Even a third. By the way, just to yeah, mention right. just to mention it would be inappropriate it would be inappropriate to do the uh, to do this interview and not mention some of the uh, w- at least one group of the key figures of uh, of the book, and that's of course the Malachim who come home with us on Friday night. Um, I never, I never, I never gave it much thought. You know, obviously the Shalom Aleichem is based on it, but I never gave it much thought about you know why on earth we need Malachim to escort us home. Could you give us a little bit on that? We have a beautiful explanation there, and and, and just to compound the question, and then why do you say Tzitzchem Shalom? Right. You, Take us home, and then you say, "Hey, good luck. Thanks for coming, Adios, amigo." What happened there? <laughs> right. So we said over there. It's also based on a Chum Seifer. Shem Shem Pikas elaborates. I actually heard this from Absolutely Bornstein. He mentioned it once in the Daf on, on uh, Yuma, and I followed up. And I, I saw this is marvelous. The explanation that they give over there, where Pinkus explains it, is that when a person climbs from a dark place into a light place, they need a little bit of help. You're climbing from the Yemei Hamaisa from the six days of, of the week the mundane, into Shabbos. It takes, it takes work. You need some help to do that. Mm-hmm. And the Malachim sort of accompany us from one world into another world. The Rebbe say, Shlomo Karabach, we talk about it all the time, that you turn around by Bayer Shalom. He says that when a person leaves, Shlomo Karabach said this example, that when a person leaves their home to go for a walk, they don't turn around to look at the house. Right. But when you're leaving, if you're moving apartments, you're leaving for the last time, because you're going somewhere else, you turn around and you linger. You give one last look. He says, right. by home, we turn around and we take one last look at the week there was, because we're, not, we're never going back there. That world is gone. I'm looking at you for the last time. I don't know who he said that from. So there, there's, there's a very real sense of, of parting from something and going into something new. So the Malachim, so to speak, are there to assist us in connecting. That, that's what Malachim do. They're facilitators. They're emissaries. They're Malachim. Sucked Rapinkas. When we get home and the table's set and the candles are lit and we're surrounded by people we love, at a certain point we tell them, Allah, okay, we're good now, we got this. This time, Friday night, is we're ready to do this alone. Like the Kain Gadol alone in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Kedish Kedash, in Kippur, could be alone with God. We're able to do this now. We don't need you anymore. Almost like a shotgun in a relationship between a young a man and a young woman. They right. need the shotgun for the first date or the second date, and then they drop the shotgun, so to speak. Right. Forgive the, forgive the mundane example. Right. We tell them, oh, we, we got this. I'm okay now. You can go. I'm on my own now. I got this. I appreciate your help till now. Amazing. Amazing. You were helpful, and now I got this. All right. So, and, and no matter what the background of the Malach might be, they're all helping in the process, right? It could be a, it could be an enthusiastic angel about Shabbos. It could be someone who's not so happy with Shabbos. Right. I think that's up to us. That means the, the atmosphere we create right. and the vibe that we create in the home, the Malachim are going to Balkarcham. Right. Are going to have to answer Amen and confirm that. Affirm that. You have any idea what book number this is for you, or uh, we don't count books in the, <laughs> when we're writing them? <laughs> to do our things our way. What does it say? Hashem should allow us many more. That's it. You're not giving me a number. I don't, I don't know. Oh, you don't even <laughs> know. Honestly, I don't know. Honestly, that's make honestly that's a great that's a great answer, frankly. Uh, Yisrael Besser. The book is called Exalted Moments: Welcoming Shabbos Stories, Inspiration, and Insights. I always look forward to our conversations. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Nachman. I love talking to you. I appreciate that very much, and stay well, my friend. Uh, there he is, Yisrael Besser. Book is called Exalted Moments. Get it, everybody. In fact, if you order it right now at artscroll.com, there's a good chance you'll have it by Shabbos, depending on what area you're in. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio for your discount for your free shipping. Always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. 
And I thank the folks at Art Scroll for again. Um, really, it's like I said before, keeping Shabbos a long time, many decades, and this book has and will uh, enhance my Shabbos experience. How incredible is that? More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Yisrael Besser. Get the book by going to artscroll.com and make sure to use promo code RADIO. Rabbi Usher Resnick joined us recently to discuss his brand new book, Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice. A very interesting conversation about Amuna and Bitachon. Here is Rabbi Resnick on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM on a Wednesday morning. I've been telling you that Rabbi Usher Resnick's book, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is a game changer, a life changer. Um, I found it to be fascinating. Uh, I am one who appreciates good works, uh, both uh, written and audio, when it comes to Amuna and Bitacha, when it comes to faith and trust in the one above. And this one is uh, is right up there with some of the absolute best material available, and I want to highly recommend it. It is a Mosaic Press release. Uh, it's distributed by Feldheim. I'll give you the website where it's available as well. Uh, it's called Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice, Grappling with Divine Justice, written by Rabbi Usher Resnick. In response to the devastating news of his two-year-old daughter's leukemia, her years of illness, and her subsequent passing at the age of 14, Rabbi Usher Resnick has devoted decades of study to comprehend and share the Jewish perspective on grappling with divine justice. Rabbi Usher Resnick, an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM. Rabbi, are you there? I'm here, yeah, yeah. A pleasure and an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. The name of the book, Pain is a Reality and Suffering is... Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice. Pain is a Reality... Does that pain ever go away? Based on the introduction, obviously what happened to your family happened years ago. How would you describe the pain now as opposed to how acute it must have been years ago? Yeah. So someone during the shiva compared losing a child to an amputation, which I think is a very appropriate metaphor. You can live a good quality life without a limb, but you never feel the limb is there. In other words, you, you get to the point, there's no such thing as, as time takes everything, makes everything better. You get used to the point of the fact this is a reality in your life, and it's a missing piece, but you deal with it and you move forward, just like Jews have dealt with challenges all throughout their history. Uh, not to be disrespectful, but, but I'm sure everyone wants me to ask this question. W- were you able to have that type of attitude and approach as all this was going on, as your daughter's illness was progressing, and then eventually after her passing, is this only an attitude that you could speak about years later, or were you able to have the strength to have that type of approach even back then? I'll tell you something very interesting. It's something that I experienced, and there was another person, another colleague in my judicature, who experienced the same thing, who was also going through a very difficult situation. We found that when we got good news from the doctors, then God became a little bit less uh, central to our life. When we got more ch- challenging news, God became very central to our life. And I found that the more challenging the news was, the more Hashem became 
sensible to everything I was doing, everything I was thinking about. And the truth is, since the, the Patera, then it doesn't, there's nothing changes because the reality is the reality. Right. But it's something which I can tell you, there hasn't been a single day over the last almost 20 years. I haven't thought about my daughter multiple times. And it's something which has changed my life in a very dramatic way, in a way that in many ways, uh, you know, painful, but in many ways, enlightening and elevating. Uh, could one say in a positive way, or you would you would stick with the adjectives you just used? Well, look, you know, a, a religious Jew recognizes Donald Zlatova. Right. So, of course, it's a positive, and and our understanding is that the end of the whole process of a person's life or the end of history will see all the positives. I can definitely tell you many, many things. I mean, for example, this book wouldn't exist. My ability to help people through the book wouldn't exist if not for that. No one would say, I'm, oh, I'm happy it happened, but once it happened, yeah, that's my whole point. It's a reality, and then you choose how you deal with it in terms of whether you allow it to destroy you or you try to move forward and, and elevate yourself through the challenge. Do you uh, do you understand those who allow, and I'm talking about religious people or those in the religious community as well, not just non-believers. Do you understand how um, how some people would react in a completely opposite manner than what you just described? Definitely. I definitely can understand that. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a fatal decision. It's a very hard situation. And... It's remarkable, actually, one of the things I speak about in the book is the Torah attitude is extremely flexible and understanding about trauma to the point where the Gemara tells us even if a person, God forbid, blasphemes and lashes out, there's no, there's no onus for that. We learned that from Eos. So I can definitely understand that. It's a massive nifayon, and a person has to uh, do their best in the situation. And one thing for sure, you never judge anyone who went to a museum like this. I'm, I'm certainly not going to do that. Yeah. Rabbi Asher Resnick is with us live via telephone. The book is Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice, Grappling with Divine Justice. Um, how does one go about choosing? If suffering is a choice, how does one go about uh, making the choice of whether to suffer and how to suffer? I think the first step is to recognize that there's a choice. We live in a time where there's an attitude that there is no choice. Free will becomes extremely constricted. So the first step is to recognize there is a choice. I'm not a, I'm not a helpless victim. I'm a human being. I can make choices. And the other thing I would t- say is if you look at Jewish history, Jews have gone through incredible difficulties, collectively and individually, all throughout history. And we move forward and we were able to live our lives. Look at, look at, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to a Holocaust survivor, but a person who went through such horrific situations, some people made uh, choices to move forward in a positive way, and, and other people were able to, able to do that. So it's a crucial, I think in, in general, one of the things that's very important is the book is not meant only for severe trauma. Right. It's meant to be something which is relevant for anybody. Everybody deals with challenges and difficulties. Yeah. In fact, the Lord tells us if you go 40 days without difficulties, you're in big trouble because God wrote you off. 
So no one has, virtually nobody has no challenges in life. And, and, you and, have to and, recognize that person. And one person's slightly difficult episode is another person's trauma, frankly. I mean, you know, people react differently yeah. to things that 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 happen uh, that go on. So it's funny. Uh, I mean, I am sure you heard my introduction. I, I, I read the book. I found it extremely meaningful. And I found it to be a, a great book for Emuna and Bitachon, trace, uh, trust and belief in the one above. Um, it, am I right that, that, or is it unfair for me to say that somebody who allows the suffering to get to them or someone who remains down after a traumatic episode is, a, is lacking in Emuna and Bitachon, or you wouldn't put it that simply? I would definitely not say that. I would definitely not say that. I would say it's a, it's a every Nisayon has to be evaluated by the person, given their situation, given their background. You know, Rebbe Dasso very famously speaks about the Kudushal Bakira. This is a massive Nisayon, and someone who's not able to do this is something that ultimately we don't judge people, only God judges people. But I would say for sure, it does not reflect on a person's, uh, does not necessarily reflect on a person's bitachon. It reflects on a person's just uh, the trauma. They're just not able to put, to put their life back together in the way that it was. Um, so, no, I, I would, I, it's, there's two things. We, we see in the Eleno uh, three times a day. Yedata hayom, el You should know and put it on your heart. There's two separate things. There's my intellectual awareness, and then there's the emotional connection that I make with that awareness. That's a free will decision. A person can have a massive degree of bitachon and a massive degree of emunah, but just they can't make the connection to the lays, and that's something which I will evaluate. And, and I, think, I think it's a big mistake for someone to then say, oh, it must be that this person is lacking in something. So when someone's angry at God after you know a traumatic experience, it, it, it sounds to me like one can be intellectually a balmamin, as, as you're putting it, or cerebrally, you know, in their head, but but their heart just hasn't come around yet. Would that be a way of uh, expressing it? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And I think that sometimes it, it takes time. That's for sure. That the time is in order to absorb the trauma. I can tell you from my wife and I, it was a major change after the first year. And that says all tell us after, after 12 months, there's a certain degree of, of intensity of the loss, which is a little bit diminished. Right. So, and then as time went on, as time went on, you know, it's interesting that the, the, I wrote the book, I put the, the chapters in the same order as I presented them on my daughter's yard site. With every chapter basically is what I spoke about either right before or on the yes on my daughter over the past many years. And I, the chapter are the exact order of how that happened. You'll see by looking at the chapters, the stages that I myself went through. There was a certain point where I was dealing with anger. And then another stage I was dealing with Nakama. And another stage I wanted to understand Olam Haba. And then I was curious about uh, Gilgulim. So there were different stages that I myself went through. And a person had to themselves go through the stages as is appropriate for them. 
Yeah, I hear that. Uh, the one-year mark, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've had episodes in my life where the one-year mark, as you said, uh, uh, certainly is significant and uh, does change things uh, in a very interesting manner sometimes. Uh, Rabbi Usher Resnick is with us. Pain is a reality. Suffering is a choice. You speak about the benefits of Yisurim. Now, a moment ago, you said that if we are not challenged by God on a daily basis, then you know, I think you said it was the Talmud that says that uh, you know one one should want to be challenged by God because if not, then he then what what is it that he's ignoring you or or the Gemara team says if a person goes forty days without any challenges or difficulties, then it's a terrible sign. It's virtually as if God wrote them off. But difficulties so, are but difficulties are different than yisurim. Yisurim, to me, means I, I, I mean, can we use the word punishment or, or 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 you know challenging situations that are very painful? You know, we look at yisurim as a reaction to our behavior, a reaction to uh, you know to a reality out there. Um, so one, as you just indicated, that's true. But by the way, there there are cases of yisurim, there's plenty of cases of yisurim that are disconnected from our mistakes in the past. And Nisayon, for example, no one says that Hashem gave Avram the Akeda because he did something wrong. Right. That was an opportunity for him to actualize some potential. So it's not, it's a mistake to say that only, that every aspect of Yisurim is a response to something wrong that I did. Right. That's Under- something which is, I think, not a, a proper perspective. Right, understood. But my question is, uh, I understand that you know one one should want to have these these nisyonos, these tests from the one above, for the reasons you just mentioned, and what our tradition tells us. But must one have yisurim as well? Because you have a chapter on the benefits of yisurim, and I'm wondering if uh, if, if number one they are necessary. Does one have to have yisurim the same way one would wish to always have nisyonos from the one above? And and what are the benefits of those usurm, of those what we normally translate as punishments? Yeah, yeah, right. So, so first of all, um, when it comes to usurm, there's a whole range. And the Gemara himself actually asked the question, what's the most mild situation which could be called usurm? And it, just, it says the final example it gives, someone puts his hand in his pocket to take out three coins, he actually only took out two coins, let's put his hand back in his pocket to get the third coin. <laughs> that Even that minor little bit of inconvenience, that's also called Yasurim. And interestingly, if a person pays attention to those minor events, then perhaps they can get the same growth and the same impact they don't need, perhaps, the more challenging situations. We often ignore the little things and we only pay attention when we get hit over the head. So we should ideally try to pay attention and grow and learn from even the more minor issues. And that means that even these... interesting and that means- about, the, about the chapter, about the, the benefits. When I was preparing that particular year, I do the research, I didn't even talk about it, the title. Because I thought that anyone who hears the title... And then this is your friend will be angry at me <laughs> for my perceived indifference and my perceived insensitivity. I get Only that. Only after I finish it, I talk about it. I get but that. Remarkable because that's the Torah attitude. You look at the, at the, at the sources, the Torah says that's the main reason given is for our benefit. And then, of course, we understand. Shem runs the world. He's trying to help. He's not trying to hurt us. He loves us too much to want to hurt us. Exactly. It's like a parent. And then that's. 
And that's the main source that I talk about over and over. The, the verse in, um, in uh, Devarim, chapter 8, verse 5. You should know with your heart that just like a parent gives your serum to his child, so God, your Lord, gives you your serum. And based on that, we see there's no possible way to translate your serum to suffering. No one would say you should know that just like a parent causes his child to suffer, God calls you to suffer. Obviously, it means it's painful challenges from God's love for our benefit. That's what the Torah is telling us very clearly. Rabbi Usher Resnick is with us. The book is called Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice, Grappling with Divine Justice. We're highly recommending it. Um, so even so, you would say that even with these minor episodes that occur, you, you mentioned the situation with the coins in the pocket, even these minor things or messages from the one above um, should uh, encourage one to analyze their deeds and their life. I, I would imagine that when some when someone goes through a tragic and and uh, and life changing experience, as you and your family did, one of the automatic things that one does is start to analyze what they are or are not doing. But you're saying that one of the benefits of these serum is that even when one goes through one of these minor episodes or a small little thing that happened to them, if they paid more attention to it, they they should go ahead and analyze even in that situation, uh, what it is that they are, uh, that, that they're doing and not doing in their life. Yes. Yes. But I would say you have to do it in moderation because otherwise I'm never getting anything done. Right. <laughs> every time I miss the bus <laughs> or I step my toe, you know, I won't, get, won't accomplish anything. But occasionally, occasionally think about this little minor thing. I wonder why that happened. What can I learn from it? How can I grow from it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of chapters in the book, a lot of interesting themes. As you said, they're based on, on Shiram and lectures. So obviously each one had its own, had its own uh, a point and its own conclusion. Um, so we can't go through every chapter, but, but you need to address for me the chapter that you wrote about why painful things happen to good people, because there's a perspective in this world. And I think it's important for this audience to hear this. There's a perspective in this world about things happening, uh, things that happen to good people in general. In fact, it was a, a really hot topic at one point in, um, uh, in, in recent history in this country. Um, and you have a a unique and what I would call um, uh, much more uh, Jewish and Torah perspective on it. Could you describe uh, how you approach this topic about painful things happening to quote unquote good people? Okay. Well, first of all, I I say that there's a there's a really remarkable fact that people think the whole topic of painful difficulties in this world. Yisurim is perhaps the biggest reason people don't believe in God and religion. Right. And I actually did a book about the fact that that's actually because people are asking the question and they're, and they're expecting things shouldn't happen like that, that actually shows people do believe in God and, 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 and have a connection to, to religion through that. That's something we've yet to see in the book more to see it more spelled out. Right. But in terms of actually explaining it, so, first of all, I divide into a few, a few parts. The first part is, why is there any pain and difficulty in the world at all? And the answer to that is, we made bad choices. In Gan Eden, there was no pain, there was no pain for Yisurim. There was no death and no difficulty. We didn't have to work for a living. So, we made bad choices, and we continue making bad choices till today. That's why they're in the world now. Now, why is it that we see that sometimes good people have 
difficulties and sometimes bad people have benefits. But that I speak about the idea that there's an element of free will which has to be maintained, otherwise our lives have no meaning and no purpose. And that's something, again, you need to read the book to see how that all plays out. I found it, fasc- um, I found it fascinating, and we should point out it's a different approach than, the, you know, than what, what people in this country are used to on this topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I want to say is very important. I think one of the most important things about the book is it's not me speaking, it's the Torah speaking. There's over 600 sources that are used, that are drawn upon, classical sources that are the basis for the book. And that means it's not any one particular person that's saying it. It's the Torah. It's classical sources. It's the Maral. It's, it's Rav Dessler. It's the Gomorrah. It's the Medrash. It's, it's Judaism speaking here. It's not anyone's personal opinion about what is the proper approach here. So, yeah, so I would imagine that it's definitely different than people are used to, because people haven't really thought about these things in a very deep way, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, In that's, general, we need to be different topics. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, it, it, the book is available, I know it's available on the website, jewishclarity.com. We should mention the website um, uh, is not only about the book, but as many articles and, um, and, and different things that people will find interesting and enlightening. Uh, again, jewishclarity.com, and the book is available there. Is it available at other uh, locations or sources as well, or is that it for now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Charles Armitage is reading it, and at this point, it should be in all the major bookstores, all the major Jewish bookstores. Um, again, Feldheim distributes it. It's a Mosaic Press release. JewishClarity.com is the website, and uh, it should be available, as Rabbi Resnick just said, in all of the major Judaica stores, and we're highly recommending it. Uh, tell me, give me a word about the website in addition to, you know, it, it being an opportunity for people to buy the book. What will people find there? Well, the, the common denominator on the website is what I would call Yesode Amuna, foundational material for basic belief. There's proofs of God, proofs of Torah, some classical issues, and also perspectives on mitzvot and 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 hagim. But it's all coming from a from a foundational perspective. I'm very fortunate that I had a very close relationship with my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Noach Weinberg's Yisrael, Rosh Hashiva Eishat Torah. Um, I speak in the book about the fact he's the very first fluent Jew I ever spoke to my entire life. I began my Jewish journey at Eishat Torah at the age of 22, and and um, he had a tremendous genius for always being able to, to distill out the foundation of things. He didn't just answer a question for the question. He would, he would focus your attention on a foundation, which is the basis for that question. And I try very much to do that on the website. Give people foundational material. Here's the belief in God, Torah, issues, Hagim, and, of course, the topics we're talking about here, how to deal with challenges and difficulties in your life. He was the first from Jew you had ever spoken to. Yes. And where are you from, if I may ask? <laughs> I'm from Los Angeles. Interesting. Wow. The first from Jew you ever I, spoke to. I grew up in Los Angeles. I knew I was Jewish. If someone would ask me, are you proud to be Jewish? I probably would have said yes, but I would have had no way to explain why that is. And, and then at the age of 22, so the whole story how that happened, I bumped into the Rabbi Weinberg, and he, I spoke to him for about an hour, and then eventually I started to learn the Torah, and I, you know, it's funny, when I first, before I walked in the door, my thought was anyone who believes in God must be stupid. 
I couldn't imagine anyone being intelligent and believing in God. And of course, when I was at Asia Torah, that was very quickly uh, shown to me that that's a fallacy. Yeah. He was a brilliant person, and all the people I met at Asia Torah were very, very intelligent people. But, uh, but I really began my Jewish journey at Asia Torah. Frankly, that may have been, I mean, not that I can evaluate this, and I'm sure he had a million great accomplishments, as we know from the history, but the ability that he had to prove the existence of God to somebody in a, in a short and logical manner, I think was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> I, really I was amazed when I went to this Torah and they told me that we can prove to you that a God, I said, really? I was, I thought there's no way in the world that could do that. And look what, and look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Pain is a reality. Suffering is a choice. Grappling with divine justice. I cannot uh, recommend this book uh, more than I have already done. <laughs> Rabbi Usher Resnick. Rabbi Usher Resnick is the author, um, Mosaic Press, Feldheim Distributor, JewishClarity.com. It's in all the major bookstores. Uh, anybody out there dealing with any of these issues, you don't have to, Baruch Hashem, if you don't have any serious uh, episodes in your life, be thankful. But even one who doesn't will find this book enlightening just in terms of the uh, the, the faith and belief um, that it can strengthen for you in the one above. So check it out. Rabbi Resnick, I got to thank you. I got to thank you for writing the book. I, as you as you hear, I've gained tremendously from it, and I really hope that our listeners take advantage of this fact, uh, pick up the book, and gain from it as well. Thank you so much. I, I hope very much that the book expands people's understanding of what they can choose, how much they can choose, and how dramatically they can change their life through their choices. Yeah. I think it uh, it certainly will, and I thank you very much. Rabbi Usher Resnick, the book is called Pain is a Reality, Suffering is a Choice. And as you heard him just say, everybody, uh, the book will help one choose. The book will help one uh, evaluate um, how they approach uh, difficult situations and life in general. Pick it up. It'll be well worth it. More coming up. You're listening to a uh, Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Usher Resnick. Chairman Danny Dayan of Yad Vashem discussed on JM in the AM his recent visit with the Pope. Danny Dayan, a recent guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, well, I want to thank my friends at Yad Vashem because uh, once we heard about and read about and, uh, and uh, saw the story of uh, Chairman Danny Dayan great friend of this broadcast, uh, visiting the Pope. We were very, very curious to speak with him about that visit uh, and to get his perspective on what I'm sure was a very interesting encounter. And sure enough, he is with us live via telephone. He is the international chairman of Yad Vashem and a great friend of this broadcast. Uh, Ambassador Danny Dayan, shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom from Yerushalayim, from Harazikaron, the Mount of Remembrance in Yerushalayim. Amazing, uh, and great to speak to you. I didn't realize until I mean, I've been following the, the trip and the and the visit. Um, I, I didn't realize that if I'm correct, if I'm reading everything co- uh, correctly, was this the first time that a chairman of Yad Vashem had a private audience with the Pope? Yes, definitely. Uh, three popes, including uh, the current one, the Pope Francis have visited Yad Vashem, right. but never a chairman of Yad Vashem visited the Vatican and uh, was received in a private audience, which is the, la- the highest level of a meeting with the Pope 
in the Vatican, indeed. Now, what's interesting for me is, as um, I grew up in a in a in a home where this issue of the Catholic Church's relationship with the Jewish people was always discussed. And it was always a complicated one, frankly, because of the history. And then, of course, uh, in recent times, uh, uh, things much different than they were years ago and centuries ago in history. And I wondered if that was on your mind when you visited with the Pope. And then I saw the quote uh, from you, Danny Dayan, about the historic meeting where you wrote, where you said, I felt the weight of responsibility as someone who represents not only himself and not only the present, but rather the entire Jewish people throughout its history. It must have been, I don't want to say complicated, but certainly uh, it, it must have given you a, a variety of thoughts and emotions thinking of all the history between the Jewish people and the Catholic Church. Definitely, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, you know uh, you know me, Nahum, I am a Jew with a deep uh, consciousness of Jewish history and uh, of Jewish peoplehood and the uh, collective responsibility of the Jewish people, not only uh, to each other, but also across generations. And uh, yes, uh, for me, it was uh, a, a very uh, sensitive mission. Um, I felt uh, the weight of uh, many generations of my shooters. Yeah. And yes, also of many grievances, no doubt. Uh, the, as you, uh, you said that the a relationship within the Catholic Church and the Jewish people is uh, complicated. Well, that is a euphemism. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. it was an understatement. Uh, uh, no doubt uh, that uh, is a very troubling uh, relationship. Uh, that said, uh, you know, uh, for almost three decades, uh, Israel and the Vatican have uh, diplomatic relations. It took uh, quite a long time the Vatican to recognize Israel, but it did. And, uh, you know, we have today uh, Medinat Israel, the state of Israel, the situation of the Jewish people is completely different. We are not at the mercy of others. Uh, So I, on one hand, I uh, entered the the audience, uh, the papal audience, uh, with the um, uh, responsibility and the consciousness of the past on the other hand, as a proud representative of the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Danny Dayan with us, international chairman of Yad Vashem. Um, the, uh, I mean, the, the fact that you're, the way you described yourself, uh, uh, certainly accurate, but there's another thing about you, and that's that you're a straight shooter. Uh, you tell it like it is, and that's why I'm wondering, and, and I'm saying this in the most respect, respectful of manners, I'm wondering if the history came up in direct conversation with the Pope, or is it something that was alluded to, or too sensitive a topic to to even bring up in this type of encounter? How would you describe the way that the centuries-long relationship played a role in this meeting? Well, you know, uh, we basically concentrated uh, mainly on uh, uh, two uh, periods, uh, the, the Shoah period, right. the, the Holocaust period, and present days. And uh, yes, uh, I think that uh, uh, the Pope himself uh, admitted uh, that uh, uh, the, the performance the, 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 of the Catholic Church during the Holocaust is not uh, 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 all positive. Uh, he said that, you know, uh, he was very candid. I would even say uh, courageous in saying that in the church, uh, like in any other group, uh, uh, 
uh, in your society there are where there were those that did the right thing and those that didn't right. um he didn't get into specifics uh, who does he mean by those that didn't but uh, on the other hand by granting us access to the uh, vatican archives right. uh, of the relevant era uh, that means that he uh, is uh, ready that we will discover who did the right things and who didn't. And that right. is, I must admit, uh, courageous on his side. Right. The, uh, the, the, the graciousness, and I think we can call it that, of opening up the archives uh, to members of the community, Yad Vashem, etc., I guess would indicate that, uh, uh, that he's willing and, and certainly acknowledges the realities and the truths of the past. I think that has to be said. And I'm sure you got that feeling when speaking to him. Yeah, I would say uh, that he acknowledges that we should know what happened. Right. Uh, uh, he didn't prejudge. Right. He didn't say, uh, and we, we don't prejudge. We are not saying uh, we intend to discover this or discover that. We right. intend to discover the truth. Uh, and But, you know, the archives will give us uh, a lot of information, not only about the, the church, but about individual Jews. Uh, that wrote letter, wrote petitions uh, 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 to the church. We will, uh, from those archives, we will be able to learn a lot about uh, many uh, Jewish victims or hopefully survivors of the Holocaust, and that is also extremely important. How does one decide what gift to bring to the Pope, and what did you think of the gift that he uh, presented to you? Well, you know, uh, uh, we considered uh, quite uh, for, for uh, uh, deeply what uh, should our gift, my gift to the Pope be, and it was clear it has to be something very Jewish and related <laughs> uh, to the Holocaust. Uh, I gave him a, a piece of a replica of a piece of uh, art, a painting on a on a, a on a, a Torah. Uh, Ark, uh, uh, originally from a synagogue in Romania. Uh, the synagogue remained intact, but the, the community was murdered. Um, and it, uh, that uh, piece was brought to Yad Vashem back in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And uh, it depicts uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, it depicts the Ten Commandments uh, and uh, 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 it was very apt, uh, especially after, immediately after uh, Chag Matan Torah, Chag Shavuot, which right. is uh, uh, also the festival in which we celebrate the, the, the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people by Kadosh uh, Baruch And his, uh, his he, on his hand, his gift, he, he gave me a, 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 an olive branch uh, uh, made of bronze. Mm. Uh, I understand that is uh, uh, it symbolizes, I assume, peace, and right. I understand that it is the standard uh, uh, gift that the Pope gives to to dignitaries that visit him. Well, frankly, uh, one of the reasons we were anxious to get you on is because uh, uh, this debate about uh, to what degree the Catholic Church should be recognized by the State of Israel, the Jewish people, institutions like Ad Vashem, is obviously a decades old debate. And, and I always felt that um, uh, if one felt that there should be dialogue, if one felt that there should be some type of a discussion, 
um, in this regard. It needs to be done by the right person. And frankly, I thought that uh, uh, having you there uh, to represent the Jewish people with this, in, and I knew it, I knew that you would feel that Jewish history was on your shoulders as you, uh, as you pursued this conversation. Um, uh, then you know, I, I was very anxious to, to speak to you about it and to, um, and to find out what the encounter was like. It sounds like both history and present day were prominently um, uh, there with you as you were going through this. By the way, he, he did make a commitment um, regarding fighting anti-Semitism. I'm wondering what your reaction was and how you felt as he was uh, declaring uh, the intention to, uh, to, in fact, help fight anti-Semitism during this era. Well, you know, I think he was completely sincere because I know his record on uh, relationships with Jews in his native Argentina, which right. is also my native country. Oh, that's right. I forgot uh, about that. Uh, oh, obviously we spoke in Spanish. Right. The, the <laughs> entire conversation was in Spanish between two natives of Buenos Aires. Right. Not only in Spanish, but in Spanish with the strong Porteño dialect, which is Porteño means uh, native of Buenos Aires. Wow. Uh, so, you know, the first thing we did in, in our conversation was to fire the translator. <laughs> there was no need, huh? no need whatsoever. <laughs> and, and, and the anti-Semitism piece, it was, uh, it, 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 was it a contentious conversation? Was it a sensitive conversation? How would you put it? I would say it was a very cordial conversation, a very friendly conversation. Right. Uh, I, almost, I, even I would say uh, informal in his part. He was very, you know, uh, very informal, very candid. Uh, he even used uh, some idioms in, in, in Argentinian Spanish that I haven't heard for 50 years since I came to Israel, made Aliyah. Wow. It was, in that respect, was... Uh, Extraordinary. And, and by the way, I should point out, and I know that this is you know obvious to many people who are familiar with the history. Uh, Argentina's had a, uh, a a a a a role. Let's put it that way. Uh, in the Nazi era and the post-Nazi era, which we don't have to get into now, but that that must also be interesting. I'm sure he's aware of the fact that there's a, you know, again a uh, you know a sensitive aspect uh, to to the uh, to the entire um, uh, World War II history when it comes to Argentina. Well, you know, uh, Argentina is a country of immigrants. Uh, it received uh, many uh, survivors, and unfortunately, it received uh, also some perpetrators indeed. Right. Interesting. Boy, wow. How, how many different facets to this uh, encounter? Must have been fascinating. Uh, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining us and for uh, reviewing all of this. And call a kavod to you, Danny Dayan. Call a kavod. I, I, knew, I, knew that, uh, I, I knew that the encounter would be handled perfectly by someone like you and that uh, we take great pride in that. Tadarabah. Thank you. Thank you. International Bye. Chair of Yad Vashem, Danny Dayan. And um, as you heard... He reviewed the um, encounter he had, the meeting he had with uh, the Pope recently. And uh, I always, as I, we've discussed this many, many times on these airwaves, I always find that whole issue about uh, Israeli and Jewish leadership and its relationship with the Pope and the Catholic Church, I always find it fascinating. And I knew he would shed some interesting light on that. More coming up. You're listening to a, a Monday morning edition of JM and the AM. That was my conversation with Yad Vashem Chairman Danny Dayan. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Keep it here for more music and plenty more on the Nachum Siegel Network.